For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday of this holiday week heading into Christmas. Glad to have you on board. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget my social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore and on Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley. And by email, I am at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Keep those emails coming. All right, big tease for next week. Next week, and like I said, we don't take a day off here on the Monica Crowley Podcast because Saving America requires all hands on deck 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Next week, we are going to be here, and we are going to do something really special and really important. You know, um, I hear a lot from you guys, I feel it too, that darkness seems to have fallen on this country. Evil appears everywhere in America. What is going on? And does it have a connection to biblical prophecy? Well, all next week, um, I'm going to be joined by the spectacular Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, who will unpack everything we're going through as individuals and as a nation and civilization from his New York Times bestseller, The Return of the Gods. The dark forces that are at work in this country, where are they from? What are they doing? And how can we turn them back? These will be some of the most important shows I will ever do and you will ever hear. Jonathan Kahn, The Return of the Gods, all next week. It is going to be blockbuster, I promise you. Okay, as we head into Christmas, I thought it would be fun and important to talk about a particular part of Christmas and have a bigger conversation about the culture with someone who has been a keen observer and critic of the culture for quite some time. We are in the holiday season, so let's have some fun in the holiday spirit. And who better to have some fun with than the one and only Raymond Arroyo. Raymond, of course, is a Fox News contributor. He is also the author of a brand new book, which will delight children and adults alike. I love this book. It's called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. And it's out now wherever you get your books, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, wherever you get your books, go get it because it's a beautiful, important, and very sweet book. It also makes 
the perfect gift. And Raymond, <laughs> my longtime friend, joins me now. Uh, How are you? Monica, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm better now that I'm joining you. And Merry Christmas. I'm glad we can uh, do that. Merry Christmas to you too. You know, when it, your book came out, I texted you right away and I said, I want you on my podcast. And you said, absolutely, let's do it. And then as I was thinking about how we're going to talk about your book, of course. But then I thought, you know what? I want to devote an entire podcast to Raymond and <laughs> to a, to this conversation because you- Well, they do so say that, you know, Monica, they do say Advent is a penitential season. So I understand <laughs> why you do that. So I, I oh, get it. It's not only Lent. Stop. Advent is just- no, no, stop, stop. No, because you've been such an astute observer of the culture for so long. Um, and you really come at it from a very intelligent, thoughtful, insightful point of view that I thought, let's just expand the conversation. So we're going to talk about your book, The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. And then we're going to talk about American culture more broadly, because I do spend a lot of time on my podcast talking about that. And I just thought, speaking to you, you're the perfect person to go to and really have an extensive conversation about that. So first, delighted to do it. Oh, it's going to be great. First, congratulations on this book. It really is. It's a gorgeous book with gorgeous illustrations. Why did you want to do a book about the wise men? You, you know, Monica, originally I wanted to do a book about a, a, a legend surrounding the wise men, because I'd done a book a few years ago called The Spider Who Saved Christmas, which explains why we decorate our trees with tinsel. And it's an old Eastern European legend from the second century. So I retold that story and I was really looking for another legend. Well, as I dug around, I discovered everything you, myself, and all of your listeners know or think we know about the wise men is really not true. You know the old song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. No, they aren't. There were probably more than three of them. They were not kings, and they were certainly definitely not from the Far East. So who were they? And I started digging around, and as I looked at the historical record, first century documents, and, and the astrological uh, charts, everything kind of fell into place. And I said, you know what? The real story of these wise men are far more interesting and, uh, and, and adventurous than the boring kind of royal uh, parade that we've been led to believe, the gift drop-off that we've been led to believe is true. Um, it, 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 indeed, even those nativity scenes we see in churches or you know, in, in, in the, the plays we saw as kids, those Christmas pageants, much of that is not true. The, you know, the wise men never came to the nativity of Christ. They didn't see the Christ child for maybe a year, possibly two years after he was born. So, and that's all, that's Clement of Rome, Justin Martyr. I won't bore you with all the details, but those historians, those um, first century authors will tell you the wise men were from Arabia and they came to worship this child. And when you dig into that, you realize this story is far more high stakes. They, they endangered their lives trying to find this Christ child, this savior, this Messiah. Um, and they were, there was both a political and a religious impulse here that drove them to Bethlehem and, and, and to find this child. So I thought if I could tell that story in a picture book, in a way that would be exciting and fun for families, it would open up their understanding of these three figures that thousands of years later we still revere, we think about, and they're beloved at Christmas. The wise men are a beloved group of, of people that I think we have odd notions about. So I hope I can yes. correct some of that and deepen our love of them. So, so what you, what you're saying, Raymond, is that everything we have learned about the three wise men is fake news. Fake news mm -hmm. started early in the world with regard yes. to the three wise men, right? Where did that? Well, not only start? that, Monica, we're reclaiming we're reclaiming January sixth. You know, January sixth yes. is the feast of the Epiphany. That's the day the wise men found the Christ child. So it's important, I think, this year. Let's take back January sixth and start there. But it's not everything we, we know about them is false. The gifts are correct. They went out to find the child. They did follow a star. But so many of the uh, accretions that happened over centuries, the names, their identity as kings, uh, the camels, all, that they went to the birth site, 
all of that was added way down the road, like 700 years after these events. You know, Venerable Bede in the 8th century is the guy who, or 7th century rather, he's the guy who comes up with these three names, Melchior, uh, Balthazar, Casper, the traditional names of the wise men. All those names mean, Monica, is king in different tongues, Hebrew, German, and a dead Semitic language. So, you know, there's so much we don't know that I think it's important to nail down what we do, because it is interesting, and it confirms the gospel account, which is very spare, just 12 verses. Yes. So who were these gentlemen? Mm. Well, wise men, magi, were astrologers, theologians, mathematicians, uh, interpreters of dreams, they were consults to kings, mostly. And we know that in the Old Testament, Monica, Daniel was a, was a, a magi. He was a wise man who consulted at court. Um, and that's very likely who these magi were. And once I realized, okay, they came from Arabia. Well, where in Arabia? Where did they come from? Well, the only real candidate is the kingdom of Nabatea. The Nabataeans were a very advanced group of people Anyone who's seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade set in Petra, you know, they go galloping out of that shrine, kind of built in the side of a mountain. Well, imagine a whole town like that, Uh, uh, the the Petra of the ancient world. That was the kingdom of Nabate, the headquarters of the kingdom. It's very likely the wise men came from that kingdom. They were serving the king of Nabate. His name was Aratas. We know that from both the gospel and historical accounts. And uh, chances are they were looking, they were looking to the skies to confirm these prophecies, Jewish prophecies of a Messiah that they knew was coming. But their people waited so long for this. The, the prophecy that, that they were probably using, Monica, and again, we don't know. This is my conjecture, because there are many prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. But the one that makes the most sense is, uh, his scepter shall rise from Israel. So very likely they were looking for a scepter to rise from Israel, a star. You know, that's poetic language that led them to believe it was a star. So when they see whatever they saw in the sky, whether it was a comet or constellation of planets, a conjunction of planets, uh, you know, we're doing a big Fox Nation special on the 16th, uh, delving into all of this. What did they see in the sky? Who were the wise men? What does the history tell us? It's kind of a deep dive where my picture book is an introduction. This is kind of the master class. And what you come to realize is they served the king. They went to him and said, look, there's a new king of Judea, a new king of the Jews. He's been born. We saw his star at its rising. And their king of Nabatea very likely said, look, that must be Herod's grandson or son, because he's the current king of the Jews, right? Herod. Well, Herod was this bloodthirsty, murderous king, Monica. I mean, Herod Herod killed three of his sons and a wife to keep his throne. He wiped people out as easy as we would wipe our nose. So uh, he did anything to protect his throne. So even going to Herod was an act of enormous courage on the part of these wise men. But they go out. They go out to bring tribute, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Those were things made only in southern Arabia the kingdom of Nabatea. Myrrh and frankincense are derived from tree sap, which I didn't know. It's tree sap, and those trees only grew in southern Arabia at this time in the world. And of course, the gold King Solomon's mines, the gold mines of Midian, same place. Archaeologists can show you where that is. That was also controlled by the kingdom of Nabatea. So the king sent these wise men with the goods, the commodities of their their kingdom, to pay tribute to this new king. It was a way to keep the peace because Herod had invaded the kingdom of Nabatea 30 years earlier. He was also, his mother was a Nabatean princess. So there's a lot of interesting historical connections here, tensions. So when these wise men go out, they're not just going on a nice little camel ride to drop a gift off at the Christ child. No, this is a diplomatic royal mission with a hidden religious impulse, because they may be personally driven by something very different, but they're sent on a mission, a royal one, an official visit. You know, I'm always fascinated by the politics that serve as the Mm -hmm. backdrop for the Bible. 
And, um, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus's time is certainly just between the Roman Empire and you've got all of these competing interests. It's fascinating to me. So the journey of the three wise men actually was a diplomatic mission. It was a political mission that that had a religious backdrop to it. But we don't, thanks to your book, now we know, but we weren't aware of the uh, political side of this. So they're bringing the gifts to this new king. They schlep the, uh, they schlep across the desert. But by the way, Raymond, is that um, when you say Southern Arabia, is that modern day Saudi Arabia or Iraq? Where is it today? It would be modern day Jordan, uh, parts of Saudi Arabia, a little of Iraq. It, it was the, you know, the kingdom of Nabatea was a pretty big territory, but mostly Jordan. It would be modern day Jordan, parts of Saudi Arabia. Um, okay. So it, it, it covers a lot of, you know, uh, the, the countries that we, you know, we now consider broken. It was one kingdom, and they controlled they controlled the trade routes. Monica, this was the spice routes that ran across the desert, um, you know, to the Gaza port. I'm really getting deep into the weeds here, but Herod controlled the port of Gaza. Okay, that's how they got goods out, but they had to traverse the desert to get there. So you see how the kingdom of Nabatea and and Judea, Herod's kingdom. They needed each other, but they were, there were tensions there. The Romans didn't particularly care for the kingdom, the king of Nabatea. Uh, they were in alliance with Herod. So you see all of those political tensions that show us this story is very likely true. And I'll really blow your mind here. Here's the big question, Monica, and I, I, I wrestled with this. Who are these magi? What do they believe? Okay, who are these guys? Well, I think they're two candidates. And if you look at my book, the wise men who found Christmas, and you can see some of the spreads at RaymondArroyo.com and or at Amazon. Um, when you look closely at this, you have to ask yourself: Who would be immersed in Jewish prophecies of a Messiah? Now they say these might be Persian priests, okay, from Persia now living in Nabatea, and they were scattered, so that would make sense. You may have Persian um, uh, Zoroastrian priests. Who are serving the king. Okay, they're stargazers, they're mathematicians, the whole nine yards. But would they be so intent on reading Jewish prophecies of a Messiah that they would get on a horse or a camel and traverse the desert and risk Herod to go find him? I'm not sure. There's a woman named Margaret Barker. She's one of the researchers I consulted for the book. Uh, Cambridge educated, a translator. She translates things for the Jordanian government, speaks like nine dead languages. She's amazing. Margaret has a theory that I think is more than a theory, and it makes sense. And this this blew my mind. I think it will make your Christmas and blow the minds of your viewers and listeners as well. Um, she believes 700 years before Jesus is coming, there is a first temple royal priesthood, a Jewish priesthood in the first temple, uh, also known as Catholics will know this, and of course those who are familiar with the Bible will. The Order of Melchizedek is that first first temple royal priesthood. They were expelled 700 years before Jesus by King Josiah. This is in the Old Testament. Where did they go? Where did they go to exile? They go to the kingdom of Nabatea, to Arabia. Margaret believes that for 700 years, the descendants of this first temple priesthood kept the old ways alive. They're waiting for the Messiah. They're immersed in the, in the prophecies, but they're also gleaning and picking up Greek astrology and Babylonian astrology and all the other things swirling around, the cultural ferment swirling around the kingdom of Nabatea. So now these men are serving the king. They see this star, and they're immersed in these prophecies. When they run out to find this Messiah, it's not just to do a gift drop by, but it may be part of a religious ceremony, because in addition to the three gifts they carry being unique to that particular kingdom. Philo of Alexandria, again, this is a historian during the time of Christ. Philo of Alexandria writes that the first temple priesthood had gold woven into their vestments, okay? They burned incense in that first temple. But most importantly, they kept myrrh oil in the Holy of Holies in the first temple. And it was used for one reason, and that was to anoint new members of the royal priesthood and kings. 
So when they go to this Christ child, it's not just to do a gift drop-off. It's to welcome in the final high priest of this first temple priesthood, the eternal high priest, this Messiah, and to restore the first temple priesthood by anointing him into it. That's what might have been going on, which makes such sense. It's why Matthew opens his gospel, perhaps, with these wise men. He was writing for a Jewish audience, by the way, and it only appears in this particular gospel. So it's kind of cool. All of that kind of blew my mind and, and made the the endurance of these wise men. You know, I don't know. Uh, you look at figures who come and go in your life in politics, Monica, people we read about and obsessed over. In a hundred years, most of these people are going to be forgotten. Let's face it. Okay. A handful yes. will remain. Why right. have these wise men perjured and survived all these millennia attached to this story? Why? This may be the reason. Maybe they were ushering in, doing the, the they were actually committing a religious ceremony. They were tying the ancient ways of the Jewish faith to the dawning of the Christian age. It's just so fascinating to me. I was at Bible study last night and we were in um, Matthew chapter eight and and chapter nine, Mm -hmm. and we were reading that and it's just, but I love the historical backdrop to this and the politics of the era is fascinating to me. So that that sure. story that you just relayed, Raymond, is is uh, it just so, so interesting. And it gives the, the entire story of the three wise men a whole other dimension. They are such a critical part of the lore of Christmas, and we all learn about them as children, but there's a lot more complicated um, and, and complex um, dynamics going on behind their journey. And really, they did take their lives in their hands. You're absolutely right. Herod was all over the region with his spies yeah. and his bandits and everything. So the fact that they slept right. across the desert with these gifts to reach this new king, Fulfilling. they were obviously told by God to do this. Yeah, and they may have been fulfilling a, a, the, the wish, the desire of their ancestors from 700 years before those people who were expelled. And oh, this two interesting little facts. Margaret Barker translated for me in the Hebrew, if you read wise men from the East in the Hebrew, it can play two ways. Yes, it means wise men from the East. It can also be translated as wise men of the ancient times of the ancient times, which might be another clue that they are indeed members of this first temple royal priesthood living in exile. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing you'll see in the book, and it's the reason I wanted to make this a picture book for families. There's a spread in the middle of the book, and you'll see my wise men on Arabian horses, because Arabian horses were introduced 100 years before Christ in the kingdom of Nabatea, because they were the preferred mode of travel. Those Arabians have one less rib than every other horse breed, meaning they, can, they have greater lung capacity and greater endurance in the desert. So my guess is, and historians confirmed this for me, that they believe, and I do, these wise men very likely rode on Arabians. It was only a 300-mile journey from Nabatea to Jerusalem and then Bethlehem, just around the Dead Sea, three-day journey by horse. And the camels were probably bringing up the rear, carrying the heavy freight. It's just such a magical story. And it's so beautifully told in this book. Again, the title is The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. It is the true untold story of the wise men. It's just incredible. And it's so beautifully illustrated as well. So please go out and get it right now. Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, wherever you get your books, The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. Raymond, please hang tight. A lot more ahead on the big cultural questions. Don't move. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. 
I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, we're back with a smart and sassy Raymond Arroyo. So Raymond, that the book is just such a great contribution. Oh, and by the way, before we uh, move into the, the bigger culture and bigger questions yeah. of where we are in American culture, um, you know, I saw recently that our friend Kirk Cameron, who is a Christian and a believer, and of course he's a, he's an right. entertainment icon from Growing Pains, he wrote um, an illustrated book for children, and his publisher approached, and, and I think you even did the story on Laura Ingram, um, approached about 50 public libraries and said, Kirk is willing to come and read the story to groups of children. And not a single public library took him up on that offer. You know, they, they had the chance to have a big celebrity mm. there reading to children with a beautiful faith-based book. And not a single right. library took him up on it because they said it conflicted with their messaging. But they're more than happy to have drag queen story hour for little children. So this this is a segue into the bigger questions that we're going to talk about here, Raymond. But what is your view of that? Well, here's my here's my first view. Public libraries should serve the public interest. And my feeling is and I and I think I think most people, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, would agree with this. All of our tax dollars go to fund a public library. That's why they're called public libraries. They are not the plantation states of small groups of people or individuals who happen to work there or on the board there. No, they serve the public interest. And it seems to me, certainly if you can have a a drag queen story hour, you should be able to have an author of any variety come in and read their book, whether that has religious content in it or not. Public spaces were not meant to be free of religion. Religion was meant to be free of federal and government intrusion. And we get that backwards sometimes and turn it into a hostility toward religion in public spaces. So I think it's incumbent on all those localities. People in those localities should say, I want this author to come in or that author so that we have a full reflection of the public appetite, which is what books should do and be. Right. Ideas should be free. And and therefore, I think authors should be free. Look, when I first heard this, my problem with the, with the, the you know, when you ban people from, from a library uh, or any public space is you're showing preference to someone else and you, you are ineb- inevitably discriminating against people. Uh, that cannot be allowed in a publicly funded place. And they should all be taken and held to task for that. Now, if it's a private business or private bookseller, they can do what they want. They really can. And but those places I find, look, I have a great relationship when I go out to booksellers that I've found no problem. I go into secular booksellers, religious booksellers. It's, it's been incredible uh, because I'm bringing an audience to them and they know they need an audience. And they usually feature a multiplicity of writers, horror writers and and LGBT writers and me and everybody else. They don't care. But that's different from a public library. And um, so it's it should be questioned, but it's up to the local citizens to hold 
those uh, libraries accountable and make sure they're serving the interests not of a small group of people, but of all the patrons of the public library. And that well, would, I imagine, right. include Kirk Cameron fans. Yes, that, that is exactly right. But the hostility with which they responded to Kirk's uh, publisher's request is just outrageous. And your, your point about public libraries being funded by our tax dollars, we do have a say in this. You know, the American people, all, all of us, you know, complain and, and, um, and, and pray for change in our country, but we really do have a lot more power than we believe. Um, so thank you for pointing that out. I've heard the drag queen story hour thing. And, you know, my take on that is particularly when you have a, a, a guy in drag coming in and reading to a classroom where there's a compulsory thing in a school. My uh, look, if, if parents want to pay for that and they think that's a artistic expression, and that's one that goes back, Monica, to the Shakespeare days where the women weren't allowed on stage and men were in drag and it was a joke and it was fun. Um, and look, I've seen Damon Edna Everidge on stage and Barry Humphreys, the guy who plays her, is hilarious. However, that what other express, expressive arts are we going to allow into the classroom or the library? Do we get cabaret, ballet, opera, uh, uh, the great American songbook? Can we get tap dancers in? Why are we only excluding it to one expression and one uh, uh, theatrical form. That's my problem. If you want to, if you're saying your goal is education, well, there's much more than drag queens to educate kids on. Commedia dell'arte. I mean, I can go on and on. Mime. I could, I could give you a thousand theatrical forms that are just as worthy or more worthy that kids could take a lot from. Shakespeare. Let's bring Shakespeare and 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 Moliere and Racine into the classroom. Um, right. But I, I do worry about this kind of hyper-focus, and I, I don't quite know where it came from, why this is, you know, the one theatrical form allowed in the classroom or a public library. Why can nothing else be allowed? That seems to me a, a, a reduction. I want more education for kids, wider exposure, not less. And uh, it, it, it seems too narrow for me. And hold the sexualization part. I mean, it, well, you know, that's a whole it, other thing. I mean, it's one thing to have a guy in drag. It's another to have a guy playing a stripper in drag, which well, is what we're and, talking but about. Also, in some cases, but yes, but but also, I mean, drag is it is, um, you know, a cultural art form or however you want to put it, but it's geared for adults. I mean, if you're talking you about some like it hot or Tootsie or, um, you know, what you were talking about, Dame Edna, it, that entertainment, yeah. those are classics, but that entertainment is geared for adults who can properly process what they are seeing, the humor in it, the tongue in cheek aspect of it. When you send a drag queen into a classroom, this is not about teaching kids acceptance. This is about beginning the indoctrination and the sexualization of those children right so mm, it's a short yeah. hop from a well, drag queen to you know a prostitute or a stripper or what whatever you know well, that we're seeing you see, and that's where that's where my analogy may break down because it's really not a theatrical form i i have had people tell me and again i you know i, I don't see these things up close but i have parents show me pictures and tell me things that were brought into the classroom and this isn't just you know, a female impersonator, which is what they used to be called, female impersonators right. before they were called drag queens. Uh, and it was something of an art form. What we're talking about now is really men impersonating female strippers slash porn stars. And the question is, should that be brought into the classroom? I agree with you. I think it's an adult content and it, it, it doesn't belong there. It no, really doesn't. You, you know, if that's next... what's being done, and some of these displays with the poles and the and the spread legs and the bumping and grinding, and dressing other dressing kids up, ah, it seems a bridge too far. And I don't quite know how we got here. I really don't. Yeah, you know, to that question, Raymond, next week on this show, I'm going to talk extensively over a number of days to Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, who's a Messianic Jewish rabbi. Um, and he's written a book called The Return of the Gods, Small G Gods. 
And what he advances, and again, next week, we're going to break this all down with Jonathan Kahn. What he um, theorizes is that when the United States, which is was founded under God, Judeo-Christian principles, mm-hmm. when in the 1960s, we made a choice to remove God from the public square, prayer out of schools, etc., that that mm-hmm. created an opening for what he calls the dark trinity. And one Mm -hmm. of the three dark forces that then were allowed back into the country is what he calls the enchantress. And they're all, these dark forces have existed throughout human history. So for example, in in Greek mythology, you know, she's Venus, you know, or Roman Mm. uh, theology. And so, but, but it's all about the sexualization, like the sexual revolution, et cetera. And then there's another transformer he calls another dark spirit. That's all about, mm. you know, or Moloch, um, which is another one that comes in and targets children right. and then the sexualization and the gender confusion. We're going to talk about all of this next week, but I think mm. it is a very interesting spiritual explanation for what for the answer to your question which is where did this come from all of a sudden it seems mm-hmm. to have descended on us targeting our children in the most obscene and outrageous and frankly criminal ways um that i think yeah. you know that, that we are in this we're in this moment of you know tremendous political tension and so on but there's something bigger going on here we're also in the middle of a spiritual war and it's expressing right, yes. itself through our culture right well, I think the innocence of children, you know, there are people, I heard people the other day, uh, parents, young parents who say, we are not going to continue telling this Santa Claus story to kids. We're not going to do this. And we refuse to believe in Santa Claus. Now, uh, look, our children believe in Santa Claus. I believe in Santa Claus um, because Santa Claus points us to something bigger than Santa Claus. You know, Santa Claus, I always tell people, it was a Dutch nickname for St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas was someone who served God and brought gifts as an extension of his service to the Christ child. That's really, that's really all. It's that simple. And it's a way for children also to reach the depths of what Christ is and what Christmas is about. Uh, generosity, joy, wonder, and thanksgiving, ultimately, for the gifts we're given. Chesterton had that great line that, and again, this gets obscured when you start focusing on these crazy, whacked out things. Children are not, they're deprived a moment of innocence and wonder. And Chesterton says they move from the land of make-believe to the land of no-believe. And I think yeah. that's right. You know, um, he, he's got a great line. There was a, he wrote several columns on his belief. Chester, G.K. Chesterton said, I believe in Santa Claus, too. Um, because it, as I told my, my own children, Monica, Santa's the spirit. And once a year, he takes human form and he comes and he brings us gifts to remind us of what we're to do for others and to be grateful for the things we have. And all that comes from God. And Chesterton said, you know, as a child, I looked and I couldn't believe I was astonished that the stocking was half full and who filled it up. And he says, and now I look at the food on my table or at the ocean or at the sunset. And I say, who filled this up? Who gave all of this to me? It's the same awe. It's the same wonder. It's the same um, reaching beyond the self. And that's what I think Christmas calls us to. And when we deny children that moment of innocence, that moment of wonder, and you start tacking on adult concerns too early, you mislead them, you destroy them, and you shatter their innocence and their sense of wonder. And it's, I think it's very difficult to recover if it's never been there in the first place. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, please stand by. More with Raymond Arroyo straight ahead. But first, I know how hard it can be to eat healthy every day, especially during the holiday season. We're always forgetting to eat the doctor recommended six cups of fruit and six cups of veggies each day, right? This is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is powered with a full spectrum of essential vegetables and fruits, plus science-backed herbs and prebiotics. This is what I need to stay healthy. You need it too. Field of Greens works fast. It tastes great. And if you're like me, you'll have more energy. You'll feel healthier. Your skin will look healthier. 
and it can even help you lose weight. So join me and take Field of Greens too. To help you get started, I got you 15% off your first order and another 10% off when you subscribe. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back with Raymond Arroyo. His new book is called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. I want to switch to the broader culture here with you, Raymond, because Mm -hmm. you're such a keen observer of the culture and have been for so long. Um, Let's talk about where we are culturally and how we got here, because the dire situation in which we find ourselves did not just happen overnight. The seizing Mm -hmm. of our culture by the left began in really the 1930s as part of a KGB operation to destroy the United States from within. And in that KGB operation, there was a political component to the um, infiltration. So McCarthy was right about that. There was a media component, an education component, and perhaps the most important of them all, a cultural component. So the communists came Mm. in and over time seized control over those major pillars of American life. And what the communists recognized which we still do not, is what the, what the late Andrew Breitbart said, which is that politics is downstream from culture. So if yep. you control the culture, you control everything else. So first of all, why haven't we gotten a handle on that fundamental truth yet? Well, I, I think this is what I always tell people. I, I, you, can, you can exhaust yourself worrying about the macro. Okay, and look, things are bad. Economy is bad. The culture is ruinous. Uh, We've got foreign observer, you know, foreign adversaries closing in on us and making side deals. Xi is in Saudi Arabia this week, which got virtually no coverage. Monica, nobody's covering this. You know, we're all worried about Twitter. I don't care about Twitter all that much. I got to tell you. I mean, you know, it, it's just another platform. You know, it's no more important than ABC or Facebook or any other platform. But we're like hyper focused on Twitter and what Twitter did. Meanwhile, under your nose, Xi is making side deals in Saudi Arabia that will lock up the oil supply, lock down a major potential ally, one Trump made, in the Middle East, and and imperil our ongoing security in the Middle East and around the world. This This is what I mean by missing the ball. If we're worried about culture, and we should be, each of us, everybody listening, can make a huge difference in the culture. And it starts with the people that live in your home, the people that live on your block, and the people in your community. Because if you can refortify and rebuild that, if you can teach and show love and respect and traditional values and your faith, if you can begin to be the light in that community, it's like that Christmas star, it will guide everybody. Light is powerful. Light is attractive. But the problem is, I think we get bound up in anger and frustration. So many people do. And they worry about things they can never control. Unless you're going to buy Twitter tomorrow, who cares what they did or do? They'll look into it. There'll be an investigation. Move on. It's not as important as what's happening at your public library or your public school or your kid's school or your community center. And I always tell retirees, and I meet some of them on book tour, they say, you know, I feel like I, I can't make a difference. What should I do? I said, go volunteer at a school and read to children twice a week. Mm. You bring the book and read to them. And then when you finish the book, share your wisdom and insights, the things you've learned in your life. Share that with those children as a reflection of what was in the book, an extension. That will make the biggest difference in more lives than sitting in front of a TV screen and cursing at the TV all day. That's not productive. It's not productive. And you don't win a culture that way. And I think um, there, there, are, there are people, I think, in the, in the conservative movement, there's people in, in, uh, who are more traditional that spend a lot of time um, being angry and living like monks and not going out and affecting the change that they could be affecting. Um, but then you find small, convinced communities across the country, and your hope is renewed again. That's certainly been my experience on this book tour. You know, you go through Florida, you go through Tennessee and Texas, and, uh, you know, heck, even out in New Jersey, you will find 
amazing people. We're still a good people. And we have to remind ourselves of that and not let some broadcaster try to tell you something other. Yeah. And, you know, it, it does seem to a lot of people, including myself and probably you too, about how overwhelming this is because the communists have been able to run wild in our culture now for 70, 80 years. So they mm. looked at it as a long-term project to seize control of the culture and change the country from within. Um, and so what we have to understand is two things. I think first, that in order to turn this around, it's also going to take a long time and a lot of patience and a lot of hard work, because the other side certainly put that in over the years. Um, but also to your point that it is a local effort. We've got to hit a quick break, but we will be back with much more. But first, guys, protect your hard-earned savings from the left and its policies with gold. Gold is the world's oldest, most proven form of currency. It's there for you when inflation soars, when other assets go sideways. And that's why Birch Gold is so thrilled to introduce a new product that reimagines gold as currency, the gold back. This month, you'll get a free gold back for every $5,000 purchased when you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA with Birch Gold by December 22nd. Birch Gold will help you own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered account. So text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit on gold. Then talk to one of their precious metal specialists. Plus, with every purchase you make before December 22nd, you'll get a free gold back. This is a great stocking stuffer just in time for Christmas. Text MONICA to 989 898 and protect your savings with gold today. We'll be right back. And we're back with our final moments with Raymond Arroyo. You know, you cannot, if you're sitting in Peoria and you're listening to us right now, you're not going to go pack up your bags and go to Hollywood and change Hollywood. Right. Like you're not going to go and do that. Right. But what you can do is make a difference in your local community. The left has also understood this. This is why you've had George Soros over the last, what, 20, 25 years, pour hundreds of millions of dollars into local DA's races, local school board races to to install yeah. communists at the lower level because they, they all understood Tip O'Neill. All politics is local. Well, all culture right. is local, too. So to your point, well, we you know, every... Go ahead. Yeah. And Soros has done a bang-up job importing horrible DAs into places like Philadelphia, my city of New Orleans. And these are people who just basically dispense with the law. They simply release criminals onto the street using technicalities, or they time them out where they hit the, you know, they hit the time limit and the case hasn't been prosecuted. So they just release them on the street with a little slap on the hand. I mean, this is ruinous to a people. But, you know, Mother Teresa years ago told me something that I've never forgotten. She said, what I can do, you can't do. And what you can do, I can't do. Go do that. We're all called to do something. We're all called to something. And our sphere is, is a certain, you know, Elon Musk's sphere is different from mine and yours. We can only affect the people in that sphere. That's our world. That's what we're called to renew and rebuild and strengthen, not the UN. That's far beyond our reach. It just right. is. Yep. And that's, a, that's someone else's duty. But if we do our job and we do it well, the rest will take care of itself. It inevitably will spread because it's the nature of good things and good people. They are attractive and their work spreads. You know, we've been in a war for this culture, but only one side has been fighting it and it ain't ours. And I, I think to add to everything that we just said about what we can do in our, what Edmund Burke once called uh, our little platoons, church, mm. uh, school, community, our little platoons. Yep. If we take control of that, then the country and the culture will begin to change. And I just add one final thing, which relates to your new book, uh, The Wise Men Who Found Christmas, which is that all of us need to be supporting conservative content 
of all kinds, including this podcast, including your book, vote with your wallet because that's really the only way to get their attention. When they see a movie like The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie, and he's working on a sequel now, but when they see that that does huge box office or that Raymond Arroyo's new book about the wise men, when they see that you know, at the top of the bestseller list, that's what gets their attention and that's how we begin to change the culture, right? Yes, no, no, it's, it's people. It's all about people. And that, that's what I'm saying. We can't curse the darkness. Light a few candles. Do that. And, you know, Monica, I came away with a little lesson from the wise men when I dug into this history, when I started unearthing what was really there. They didn't wait for Christmas to come and wash over them. They weren't like pegs waiting for the, the ocean to come in. No, no. They got on their steeds when they saw that light rising and they ran out to find Christmas. They chased it. And that's how we have to be with the truth. When we see the truth, we have to run toward it and apprehend it. We have an obligation to make that journey. And if we do that, and most importantly, we keep our orientation, our eyes, our vision on the higher things, not on the earthly things, not on the kings that could kill us or the deserts that could burn us, but on what God is calling us to and those eternal values, we cannot but succeed in our journey. And that's what I sort of took from the wise men. And I hope all my readers do and everybody listening does this Christmas. Uh, well, amen to that. And what a great, positive, optimistic note to end on, uh, Raymond. And uh, listen, I thank goodness, I thank the Lord above that you are out there fighting this culture war, doing what you're doing on television, writing these books. You are doing the hard work on this as well, and you're inspiring so many other people. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for being here today. Oh, Monica, it's my pleasure. Merry Christmas. I hope it's a blessed one and uh, that a great new year awaits us. Oh, amen to that too. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and your beautiful family. Raymond Arroyo, his delightful new book is called The Wise Men Who Found Christmas. Go and get it wherever books are sold. It makes a beautiful gift as well for the children and for the adults in your life. And as I always say on the show, if you want to be a warrior to change the culture, go get his book and support work and messages like Raymond's. All right, Raymond, thank you so much. God bless. Thank you, Monica. Okay, guys, that's it for us today. Thank you so much for being here and for patronizing our great sponsors. Have a good rest of your week, and I will see you right back here on Friday with a really lovely show that you won't want to miss. See you then. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.